Welcome back to the non-standard 14er podcast, the podcast that talks about everything the route description leaves out about hiking Colorado's 14ers. We got uh, returning to our podcast, the Tornado Man. Hey, what's up, folks? People can't see that peace sign, by the way. Well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and our guest in uh, the podcast tonight is Matt Payne. He is a photographer. He uh, has done all the 14ers. He's done all the Centennial Peaks. He's a big... Um, person on the forum. He used to run a website that used to detail some of the uh, 14er uh, disasters. And and that's what we'll we'll get into debating on this episode of the podcast. So welcome, Matt. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's, it's fun to, to nerd out on photography and 14ers. So yeah, I grew up in Colorado Springs. So I lived there pretty much my whole life until 2014 and then 2013 and then I moved to Portland Oregon and I lived there for two years and then I moved to Durango so you took a break from doing peaks Uh, I came back came back every summer okay yeah and I was like man I gotta get back because you finished the 14ers in 12 and then Centennials in 17 yeah nice yep how long did it take you to do the 14ers? When did you start? Uh, five. I was five. <laughs> Wait, 05 or when you were five years old? When I was five years old. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, so. And was that starting with Pike? Climbed. No, actually, my first 14er was Sherman. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I did a couple of 13ers before that, so. I think my first 13 was called Fairview. It's, uh, it's down by Gunnison. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think my second one is Rito Alto and the song and the song grays. Yeah. And I did that I've, one this summer. Yeah. yeah. I have zero recollection of that. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do remember, I do remember Sherman vaguely. I remember on the way up, you know, it's all those mines on the way up. And I remember walking by and seeing really cool rocks that I had to keep. <laughs> so by the time I got to the top, my, my backpack and my pockets were full of rocks. <laughs> and by the time I got all the way back down, they were empty of rocks because my parents had convinced me that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> That's about all I remember. Oh, I remember it was like really windy on top too. <laughs> hmm. Who would have thunk on Sherman? Right. <laughs> it's always windy up there, man. <laughs> So you have a podcast you do every week? Every week on photography, yep. And is it guests or is it, what's the format? Always guests. So um, sometimes I do panel discussions, but I'll have like three or four or five other photographers at the same time, which takes forever to organize those. It was always just like a passion project, which is probably for you guys as well. Something yep. fun to do. That what we just thought was fun to drink around. Excuse to drink beer on Tuesday nights together and tell the same <laughs> story. Right on, yeah, exactly. Right, other people. We noticed that we tell the same stories over and over and we're always hiking. And so then like, we're like, we need a new audience so we can tell the same damn story again to the new hiker. And so that was kind of like <laughs> the advent of what we our podcast kind of became. No, I like it. Mine was, um, do you ever, have you ever listened to a podcast called uh, Nerdist? You, well, it used to be called Nerdist. Now it's called ID Tenty or Idiot. Uh, it's uh, you're familiar with Chris Hardwick. 
Yes, the he, uh, comedian and the guy from like uh like the Talking movie. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. So he is his podcast and he would like interview celebrities and musicians and other comedians and they would just shoot the shit. And that was what I modeled my podcast after uh, originally was just shooting the shit with other photographers. And it's kind of morphed since then. It's, it's got a lot more structure, I guess you could say, than it, than it was when I first started. A lot less cussing too. <laughs> <laughs> so, like if you were an amateur photographer is there a good way to get tips on how to like one of the questions i've written down to ask you is like how do you get that sh moonlight shot at cathedral peak but it looks like it has the damn milky way like photoshopped above it like <laughs> yeah do i have one like that I, I was looking on your let's see it was probably your cathedral um trip report oh well hopefully there wasn't a moon and a milky way because that's well, not possible <laughs> Now you make me sound stupid. Let's see. No, you're good. Um, it was the Milky Way. Oh, I remember that one now. Yeah, it was very dark that night. That was a Perseid meteor shower. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'm totally self-taught, so a lot of failure, a lot of experimentation. Um, basically, what I did when I first got into photography was I went to the library. And I checked out every book I could find on photography. And then I just started practicing with everything I could find in my house, in my backyard, friends. I would take my camera to work. People thought I looked stupid and was crazy. But yeah, I just got it. Just, the bug bit me and I wanted to get better. So I did a lot of experimentation. And that's why all my photos back from like 2010, 2011, 2012 are kind of hideous. I was trying a lot of weird stuff. What's Mostly that? processing. That was back when there was a technique. A lot of people were, it was like a fad that's kind of faded. It's called HDR, where you would take like three exposures of the same scene back, like boom, 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 boom at different shutter speeds. So you'd get like dark medium and highlights and they would all be perfectly exposed. And then you would use software to combine them all Got together. It. And then it would look really unnatural. <laughs> yeah because like the the light would be and the sky would be darker and then you have the great shadows and like the, the actual yeah. ridges of the mountain yeah everything would just look really hyper realistic and gaudy almost you know like mm -hmm. just bad colors too so i was really into that for like a year or two <laughs> unfortunately but we all go through phases and so then how do you do a photo like the one of uh, cathedral in the milky way yeah, it's just, um, I'm trying to remember that one. Is that several hours of exposure? Nah, several minutes. minutes. So the sky was probably uh, 25 seconds. And then the foreground, which was completely pitch black, was probably like three minutes at a slightly lower ISO, so it wasn't as noisy. And then what, I, what you do in Photoshop is you blend those two exposures together. Um, the only other way to do that naturally is if you have like a half moon or a quarter moon that's, you know, illuminating the mountains, uh, but it's not washing everything out. So you can't do it with like a full moon or else the Milky Way would be completely washed out. So there's ways to do it naturally, but in order, like most photos you see, if, if there's a Milky Way and you can see the foreground really nice, 
They're... It's because it's a multiple exposures. It's a blend. It's called a blend. Okay. Otherwise, you just have this black foreground and the in the night sky. Yeah. Which isn't that right. exciting. At least it isn't for me, but because <laughs> right. there's no there's no context for the place. Like I literally can't take a picture at night because I have like a Canon power shot, you know, like an $80 camera. Like to me, I just like, uh, you know, it weighs nothing. <laughs> they're awesome for like, yeah, daytime photos. Um, they're not, they're pretty great yeah, little cameras. Bad. Although yeah. honestly, nowadays, like a iPhone seven or better is pretty great, you know? I mean, you can't zoom in, but it's still pretty yeah. good. Yeah, Zoom is the biggest issue I have with just using a, you know, a quick point camera, point and shoot. Right, right. And obviously night, but so it's bad for wildlife. If you see something a ways away and you want to zoom in, you end up with this little blurry. Oh, yeah, there was some bighorn over there. Yeah, you see that mountain goat? I think I promised there was one there. <laughs> Can you find it? <laughs> I do have some close pictures of mountain goats when they just decided that they, uh, you know, wanted to be very friendly. Well, yeah, it's, you just have to pee on a rock. So. <laughs> I got the I got the uh, Chicago Basin frame just behind my camera here. Uh, three mountain goats licking pee, and I got Jupiter. <laughs> I mean, frame, you, know, you can see Jupiter really well when you walk into the Chicago Basin. That's the canvas photo I have. Yeah, that was pee induced. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite photographs of all time was from the summit of North Eolus, actually. Yeah, we had terrible weather. Both times are up there. Terrible weather makes some pretty great photos sometimes. Yeah, if there's if there's no clouds, completely bluebird day are not the best pictures. So not, not usually. Yeah. Although then it's like cool. I don't have to worry about lightning. <laughs> yeah, so as a photographer, I always have mixed emotions when it comes to weather. It's like, hmm, I'm gonna be safe and I don't have to worry about taking my time but i'm not going to get great photos <laughs> do you like least... tripod yeah i do almost always like a full professional tripod yeah <laughs> i remember one time when i climbed snowmass i was on top of snowmass taking pictures of the maroon bells and this guy comes up to the top and it was like right after sunrise and he was like are you matt Payne?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, that's me. I'm the only crazy idiot dumb enough to carry a tripod up to the top of Snowmass. <laughs> <laughs> that means did you do the S Ridge or did you lug it all the way to Snowmass Lake? I did S Ridge, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I almost died that day, actually. Whole story about that. Because I went over and did North North Snowmass. And I was an idiot and decided, oh, I'll just, instead of going back over snowmass, I'll take this little shortcut. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. What year was that? I want to say 2011. Okay. So I want to dive into, that's one of the subjects we want to talk about is the, is the accident report and the, the, the pros and cons and the debate <laughs> about whether uh, you report accident or death reports on the 14 years for people to learn from and then balance out the fact that it's, you know, disrespectful to the people who have passed or their families reading the forum. It seems like getting off route, being solo, 
is one of the kind of two big, some of the big takeaways from your aggregate data on your, you're compiling those the stats. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have a limited amount of data that I collected only over, I think it was a five year period. And then I stopped, but yeah, it was interesting. Majority of accidents happened on the descent. So that kind of makes sense because people are more tired. They're less vigilant. I don't know about you, but I always feel safer going up than down. Yeah, a lot of the people, what I found is it was either people that were very experienced um, and they were doing stuff that was kind of crazy or people that weren't experienced at all who were doing stuff that was way beyond their ability level or they just weren't um, aware of the risks that they were getting themselves into. Um, and then, of course, there's always freak accidents because it's a dangerous activity. So what prompted you to start your website to, to detail the accidents? Yeah, so I mean, my originally my website was just to, uh, to me to document my adventures so that I could share them with my friends and family and, you know, especially like for my own son. Uh, back when I started, my dad was trying to climb the Centennials back in the 70s and 80s. Hmm. And so that's why I started getting into it myself as he would take me along on some of the easier ones. And then I got out of it for, gosh, probably, you know, from college up until my late 20s. So probably a decade there where I didn't do any climbing at all. And then I got back into it after my son was born. And um, I would, I was lucky because my dad and I worked really close together. So we could like take walks together at lunchtime. And I would ask him like, oh, how is this mountain? Like, you know, I'd be going the next weekend to climb something. And I'd be like, tell me about this one. And of course he couldn't like just take me to a website where he could show me his pictures and stuff. It was always like from memory and foggy recollections of different things that he had to do like 20 years ago. So I thought, well, maybe I should like make sure I could document this stuff for other people and for my friends. And so that's actually why I started my website. And then I was actually climbing uh, Long's Peak in 2010, I believe it was, with my dad. And the day before we climbed it, there was a guy that had fallen from his death who was visiting from, I want to say he was visiting from like New Hampshire or something like that. Um, and he had never climbed any mountains in Colorado before. And I think he'd only done very minimal hiking out east. Hmm. And he was obviously just kind of out of his element and didn't really know what he was getting into. You know, he's probably someone who was just visiting Rocky Mountain National Park and yeah, just go run up longs. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do that. It's kind of wild or they see it on Instagram. Nowadays it's people see stuff on Instagram and they're like, Oh, I'm gonna go do that too. Uh, but back then it was, this was before Instagram and social media was really big. So, but anyway, the day before we did it, this guy had fallen, he had gotten off route because um, it was super windy and he was trying to get off the mountain and he got off route. I can't remember the name of that section over there, but right after you get through the keyhole, there's that big kind of loose rock section before you get to the, the narrows, that area that has all the like painted rocks with the bullseyes. So there's the ledges. Yeah, the ledges. Kind of exposed ledges. Yeah, so, so yeah, that to me is the worst part in my agreed. Opinion. Yeah, awful like rockfall coming down from people above you. So, anyway, he had fallen somewhere in there, but like he was way off route above the ledges. So, he had like come down totally the wrong wow. way. Like, he didn't go down the home stretch and back through the narrows. He had tried to navigate some other way and he fell. And, like, literally, 
his skull fragments were uh, was on the trail, like blood splattered Ooh. everywhere on the on the trail, and it just left this impression in my mind. Like I was, it was terrifying. Like I did, you know, I was like, I was thinking about myself. Like I don't, I don't want to have that to be my fate. And um, it just got me thinking about what would, why did this happen? And so the more research I started doing about it, I realized like, oh, this guy was here. And, you know, I had a curiosity about it before that, like other people that had gotten into accidents and found themselves in weird situations. And so it kind of started out as a morbid curiosity for myself to prevent myself from dying, if I'm being completely honest, Mm -hmm. um, to try to make sure that I avoided as many pitfalls as I possibly could. And I have a master's degree in clinical psychology. So I like to study people and their behaviors and try to make sense of why people do things. And, you know, as humans, we, every day of our lives, we make weird decisions that sometimes we're conscious of and sometimes we're not. So anyway, I really wanted to understand why all these people were dying in the 14ers. And obviously I understood that you know, sometimes bad shit just happens to people, you know, you're in the mountains and you step on the wrong rock and that's, you know, geologic time is now, as as people like to say. (laughs) Uh, But, um, you know, I also understood that there are things you can do to prevent or at least mitigate your risks. And so I wanted, uh, what I was finding is that a lot of the people that were dying were people that, oh, let me back up a little. So also paired with that experience of that same day, in, on Long Peaks, Long's Peak, which I'm sure everyone has experienced, I saw hordes and hordes and hordes of people that obviously had never climbed a mountain before in their life, right? So there's people in tennis shoes and they didn't even have water bottles and like they were, you're going up the home stretch and they're freaking out and there's girls on the side of the trail crying. I mean, just, you know, people that obviously were way out of their element and had not done any research or never done anything like that before in their lives. So it just, those two events on the same day really impacted me to realize like, man, there's just a lot of, something needs to be done to prevent this from happening to more people. What can I do? And so I just started tracking all the people that would die on in the mountains in Colorado. And it, Um, just trying to understand like what were the different variables that caused their death based on what I could find out about what happened. Some of it was uh, secondhand information from search and rescue teams. Some of it was all I could get out of news articles. Some of it was like things I heard from people that were there that day, you know, so obviously I could never really interview the person themselves. And generally speaking, the people that they might've been hiking with were very reluctant to to talk to anyone about it, which is, I totally understand. So I just started kind of for each one, I would kind of make a educated guess based on my, my knowledge about the different mountain, the route they were on, where, where they were found dead, what the conditions were that day, um, what was known about the, the situation. And then, and then I would just kind of say, okay, here's what we could possibly learn from this situation. If you, I mean, a classic one that I found myself repeating over and over again was people that would die on Kit Carson. And in, yeah. almost everyone that died on Kit Carson dies because they overshoot the avenue yep. on their way down. On the way down, right? Okay. Yep. Yeah. And, one, and so I, I the one you reported, he tried to descend the class four North Ridge. Right. Yeah. So 
so I would start to notice these patterns that would happen. And so for the ones that were, where you could say, okay, there's a pattern here. That, those are the ones that were most important for me to kind of get the word out. Like, hey, if you've never done this mountain before, or maybe you feel like you're not experienced uh, climbing mountains in Colorado. And I don't know, there's a difference between experienced and knowledgeable, like, or someone who's safe. You know, I, I've done the centennials, but I still would say that I'm not nearly as experienced as most mountaineers that are world-class, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think I'm a badass is what I'm saying, but I probably know a little bit more than like your average reporter from the newspaper, you know, that's like just reporting on the story, like so-and-so died on the mountain. So anyway, I just wanted to try to impart some knowledge to the climbing community about different mountains, why people were dying, where they were dying. If anything, what could we do to, to prevent future incidents from happening? Um, and of course, what, what I found a lot of times was that about 60% of the people would be like, cool, cool information, great info, love it, super helpful. Like I would get emails all the time from people like, thanks for writing those articles. It really helped me when I climbed Kit Carson because I was thinking about it and I actually paid attention on my way down, right? But then you'd have about 30 or 40% of the people that were like, this is pointless, this is stupid. We all know the risks we're getting ourselves into when we're in the mountains and kind of disagree with that. Cause if I feel like if these people knew what these risks were, they wouldn't have made these mistakes. Some of them anyway, not to say that I haven't made my own mistakes. I've made plenty of my own mistakes for sure. And then I guess uh, it all kind of came to its head in 2013, 2014, I had written uh, one of my articles and I was actually living in Portland at the time. And, uh, the newspaper in Fort Collins interviewed me because there was a whole bunch of deaths that year on longs. Um, and they, of course, if you Google Colorado 14er accidents or something like my website comes up Okay, and that's how they found me. And they're, so they interviewed me and they kind of took some of my words out of context in the article. It made me kind of sound like a jerk a little bit, if I'm being completely honest. And uh, anyway, literally, it was they put the story on the front page of the Sunday newspaper in Fort Collins. And literally that day, I got a death threat. Yeah, from somebody in Colorado saying, and I still have the email from 2013 or whatever it was. And it was like, he was very detailed about how he was going to kill my son, kill my oh. wife, where he would do it. Pretty crazy. And then I coupled with that I had reached out to a couple of mountain climbers who were present on a fairly high profile accident that happened uh with a with a guy um who they were they were actually doing the um traverse between Snowmass and Hagerman yeah yeah and uh he had fallen and his friends were there and watched him fall and die and I waited a whole year to reach out to them and they were very upset with me for even trying to contact them. And I completely understand why. And I, I guess the the raw emotion that they spilled out to me, and I really felt it and I it moved me emotionally. And I just um, decided from there on out to stop doing it because I just couldn't bear their responsibility anymore. I felt like I was causing too much emotional pain for people. But what I did do, is I urged um, Bill at 14ers.com 
to create a separate forum on the site for accident discussion. Uh, because what would inevitably happen back then was someone would die or someone would get lost or someone would die. Or someone's and lost or no one even knows they're at yet. And they're, everyone's speculating right away, right? Yeah. And then there's all this chatter. And then there's always people are like, well, respect the family. Like, we don't know what happened. And like, and then there's all these other people who are like, we want to know what happened because maybe we can help. And like, it just turned, it always turned into a shit show. Um, and so what I proposed to Bill was, why don't you just create two forums? One that was like a memorial for friends and family. And another one that's locked only to forum members that's about like accident discussion. So that if people want to have discussion rationally with rules, <laughs> about learning from different things that happen in the mountains, like in the North American accident, uh, like this is a thing, like people do this with airplanes as well. Like every time there's an airplane accident, like they, they analyze it to see what can be learned from it so that people don't make the same mistakes. So that's the way that I always kind of envisioned the work I was doing, um, but, I, but I also could feel the tension that was being created by you know, writing these articles. So that's why I stopped. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, interesting. You mentioned the airlines, which certainly 100%. I mean, there's huge efforts to go in to discover what went wrong, but on a lesser scale and more related to what you're doing is the reports that are put out for all the avalanche fatalities. Right. Know? I mean, yeah, the same everyone, story. they have like that disclaimer, like, um, we're telling this in a way to, you know, try to help prevent further accidents and that people can learn from them. But obviously, you know, I personally have never, you know, lost a, you know, when you want to call a friend to a mountaineering accident. Right. Um, and I haven't either. Um, so, thank God. Yeah, I should knock on wood because, but um it's interesting because I, I was really, you know, I read all these discussions back in the day and it's an issue I can totally see both sides of. So that's, yeah, and that's I, I can too. Because I was, can argue for either one. <laughs> so. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think what people didn't realize is like, I would reach out to people that I trusted on the forums to have them read through it to say, Hey man, did like, does this sound like I'm, a jerk like am i being unfair like am i being object objective with my analysis here is like if you were somebody that knew this person would you be pissed off or offended if you read this like i was sensitive to it but at the same time i think you know some people would argue that there should be zero discussion period never um and i know that was kind of steve gladbach's position he even wrote a whole forum post about you know, I have lots of friends that are friends with Steve. So I'm like two degrees of separation from him. But, you know, that was his whole thing is when I die, I don't analyze what happened because I was doing what I loved and it doesn't matter. And I see that perspective as well. And when I climbed Thunder Pyramid, you know who was on my mind the entire way up? Steve Gladbach. <laughs> it certainly isn't a black or white issue for sure, though. At least in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, without the accident analysis of each accident, like you mentioned, Kit Carson, there are certain 14ers that there are things that people need to be aware of. Now, how they get that information, 
you know, um, whether it's, you know, a detailed trip report, accident analysis of the past, or, you know, just friends they know who've done it. Because I remember a few peaks there were, I mean, your site, and we talked about this before, Little Bear, I ended up doing the Southwest Ridge. And I decided that many, many years ago. And one of the accident reports on your page was one of the reasons I decided that, because I felt that it was safer. So oh. it's, it's just, and every picture I've ever seen of the hourglass, it's like, man, that looks hideous. I don't want to do that. What was the uh, accident tornado, man? Was it in the hourglass? Yeah. The one where there was like some ice in the morning, I think. And mm-hmm. um, it was in the hourglass. Yeah, that was the uh, very first accident that I remember being very aware of and also getting into lots of arguments with people on the forum about it because at the time, I was, this was way before social media was popular and the only way you could make a name for yourself as a person who likes to write was to like write for these microblogging pages. Mm -hmm. So there was this page called the examiner and you would have like these sub forums. And I was like the Colorado mountain examiner or some stupid thing. (laughs) And I remember as soon as I learned about that accident, I wrote about it um, because it was a good opportunity to, to just write about something I was very interested in. That's, that was the whole premise behind examiner. And uh, I remember people were like, you're just an accident chaser. You're trying to make money off of other people's deaths. And I was like, yeah, you make so much money writing articles for websites. It's Mm -hmm. like, let me just show you the piles of gold I've accumulated (laughs) over here. It just wasn't, I didn't think it was fair, but at the same time, you know, it's, I was just trying to report on something I thought was interesting, but yeah, that was the first accident I remember being very, very interested in because at the time I was still working on the 14ers myself and little bear I had yet to do little bear and I it scared the shit out of me if I'm being completely honest so I mean I think that's what you're trying to say too like reading about that accident for me when I did little bear I was way 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 more careful than I've ever been on any other mountain in my life because of that yeah and I think you know other ones you mentioned um Kit Carson like I had that 100% dialed in. I had, there was like a patch of snow left in a certain spot and I knew exact, okay, you turn there. And then. Uh, mm-hmm. I was the same way with um, Crest Needle the first time yeah, I did it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Crossing over the, the from the West Gully. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, if this is like, if you go past this point, you're going to die, you know, like, and so if, I don't know, like for me, I, that's how I remember things is. It worked for me. I guess I, I figured if it worked for me, I guess it, it, may, it must work for other people. So yeah. I might as well provide value. We had the same thing on North Maroon. We needed to cross over those gullies. And we, we stashed a uh, yellow puffy to make sure we on the descent we crossed over. And we got to arguing about the Steelers and the Broncos and <laughs> descended 100, 100 feet below our puffy until we realized we turned around and looked up and saw our yellow puffy. Knew we had to, you know, up climb and cross over there, but that's because you know Metal Brook and the trip reports have that 
as a guide to make sure you know when to cross over. Right. Yeah. It's, um, and I don't know, I think part of the, there's a whole debate around mountain guides and guidebooks and trip descriptions. And is that a really good way of experiencing mountains, you know, like with your eyes glued to your phone, trying to make sure you follow the route perfectly. I know I'm a worse mountaineer because of that, you know, like you're, you're not as good about route finding and navigating bad terrain, but it's also safer. Um, so what are other routes that are common descent errors? I mean, we can circle back to that 2017 year on Capitol. I, was, I want to talk. About oh, that. for sure. Yeah. Like, Oh, I don't want to go back over the knife edge. I'll just descend the five, seven face. <laughs> yeah. God, man. I, I was actually very thankful. I had stopped writing those articles by then because that was a particularly brutal summer. Yeah. I remember people were sending me the articles too. Like, yeah, did you hear about this one? Did you hear about that one? I was like, I don't track that stuff anymore. <laughs> oh, that was um, the young couple was the day after I climbed Capitol. Really? And, and yeah. So I was going down and uh, day tripped it. <laughs> and my friend distinctly remembers seeing the couple. I don't, I mean, you know, we were kind of in zombie mode, but cause I had an actual, a friend who was going up there and I passed right by him and he, he's like, I think he thought it was me, but apparently uh, I like looked at him and didn't acknowledge him. So he's like, that must just be a guy who looks like him. <laughs> but so yeah, we saw them. That one, that, that one hit pretty hard that that happened the next day. You know, what uh, hit me pretty hard was about, four years ago because i don't use the site very often anymore but i still lurk occasionally or <laughs> post or comment lurk. once in a while because you know you're really heavily using it when you're climbing uh the when you're going after it and it hit me really hard because i was looking at my friends list and like four of the people on my friends list are now dead wow and i was like wow that's kind of not cool <laughs> and it just reminds you like it's a it is a very dangerous sports mm -hmm. um and i and I, honestly my intentions were always just to hopefully draw attention to people that maybe didn't realize that because maybe all they did was like climb a couple of easy ones in the collegiates or something you know yeah. didn't realize you know some of these mountains even if you got these nice route descriptions and stuff there's still a lot of danger um especially if you if you introduce other variables like weather mm -hmm. um or you know like a particularly wet year of rain you know that can really make the a rock slide potential a lot greater i know that's what caused a lot of deaths over on el diente and wilson uh was a couple of years there was a lot of rain yeah. and there's a ton of rock fall that happens just out of nowhere like the people weren't even doing anything wrong they just wrong place wrong time so, I mean, that almost happened to me on Gladstone. <laughs> Just had a rock come out of me, come out of me, you know, and I was lucky enough to be looking and I dodged it. What, what way did you go up Gladstone? Uh, just straight up the north, the ridge. Yeah, the north ridge. From the Wilson Peaks out. Uh, I actually did Bilk, Bilk Basin. 
Okay. Which was awesome, by the way. Don't want to get the word out for that too much, but Bilk Basin is incredible. Um, but yeah, I've actually ascended. I've used every trail from that for that basin. I've done. I've done Rock of Ages, Bilk Basin, Navajo Lake, uh, Killpacker, Killpacker, and well, I guess that's it. Woods Lake. Oh, Woods Lake. I haven't done Woods Lake. Woods Lake drops into Navajo, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, okay. That's what I was thinking. We were talking about that last podcast, Tornado Man and I. We were debating. Yeah, you got wow. me on that one. I haven't done Woods Lake yet. Woods Lake is pretty. It's uh, When you get up high, you get this unique view of Alviente, and then you drop like 400, 500 vertical down towards Navajo. Yeah, I spent a lot of time last autumn over, over on the, um, well, it's Beaver Park, basically, kind of over by Middle, Dunn. Um, mm. But it's beautiful, beautiful in the fall, just gorgeous, insane. And if my photographer friends heard me saying that, they'd be punching me in the face because we don't want other people to know. But it's got out. <laughs> it's an amazing place in the in the autumn. It's just gorgeous. When do you uh, shoot the most? Do you shoot the, like the aspens? Is that a bigger time for you? Or yeah, I would say pretty much every year now since twenty. 14 i usually take about seven to ten days to shoot fall color yeah that's probably my favorite but um other than that it's summer for sure um and then in the spring i'm prints or what what's that you sell your prints then or how do you yeah so part-time photographer full-time photographer (laughs) there's very few full-time photographers in this world (laughs) Uh, but um, I'm part-time, I guess you could say. But yeah, I sell my prints. So my income for my photography comes from teaching um, and then also my podcast and then also book, writing books and then also uh, selling prints. But interestingly, selling prints is the biggest revenue stream for me, which is not very common for most photographers. Huh. Most photographers make most of their money teaching workshops um but yeah so you, you go to like festivals or you do mostly online print orders zero festivals zero um, i mean occasionally i'll do like a little pop-up i wouldn't even call it a gallery but i'll do like an art show like a month-long thing um but it's all it's almost exclusively online hmm. and mm-hmm. your website is your, your photography website is what yeah it's all through my website mattpainphotography.com yep yeah, that's a whole other ball of wax right there, man. <laughs> <laughs> What's your most popular? Can you can you pinpoint that? Yeah, actually, no. My top selling photos. There's five of them. Like I have probably a couple hundred photos on my website for sale, but there's five that continually sell. Um, so one of them is a panorama I took of an area over by Ridgeway where you can see Uncompagre and uh, it's basically, you can see East Cimarron Valley, West Cimarron Valley, and I'm up above all of it. And it's a Is huge there... panorama in autumn. How do you get that view? How do you get Uncompagre from Ridgeway? You gotta get up pretty high, don't you? Mm-hmm. You do. <laughs> we were, I, was there, I was there last week doing some ice climbing in your way. We had a yurt, a yurt in uh, Ridgeway State Park. and Yeah, so this is, um... This is up above Silverjack Reservoir. I don't know if you've been over there at all. Uh, there's a road that, can, do you know where Owl Creek Pass is? 
I do, yeah. So if you go over Owl Creek Pass on the other side of Courthouse and Chimney Rock, you'll drop down into Silverjack Reservoir. And that's basically the East Cimarron Valley. And then above Silverjack Reservoir is this huge mesa uh, that overlook. You can see Sneffels, all that stuff over there. You can see Uncompagre, Courthouse, Chimney Rock. Uh, yeah, all those 13ers over there, um, Precipice. Yeah, Isn't there like a, what's Cox? Is Coxcomb? Coxcomb. Coxcomb. Yeah, Coxcomb's at the very end of the West Cimarron Creek Valley. We've been researching that route. We want to do West. We want to do Wetterhorn. One buddy has to do Wetterhorn. We want to do it from the Ridgeway side. And I would love to do that. Yeah, I've I've been eyeballing Coxcomb as well. It looks really fun. And then you've got like two other 13ers right there, El Punto and what's that other? One that's got like a quotation name. Uh, horn. Yeah, the Heiss horn. Yeah. You did Heiss horn this summer. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty intense. <laughs> the yeah, they're legit, man. Yeah. Where'd you come from? Did you come from Lake City or Ridgeway? So basically, how did I get down there? Where you probably you, you turn, did you it. You turned down there between Gunnison and Montrose somewhere. Yeah, you did it from West Cimarron. Uh, yeah, East, East Cimarron, Cimarron. yeah it, it's like the road was like totally fine except the last little no it was totally fine all the way to the trailhead i drove it in a corolla I mean, it's fine <laughs> yeah yeah you you did the east cimarron so yeah. that that whole valley is is the uh is the valley i'm talking about what, what time of the day was the photo it was like 2 3 p.m there was a thunderstorm that i just rolled through nice that's a secret catch the thunderstorm and... oh it was insane dude it's... let's see if i can do this oh you disabled screen i can share your screen if i give you a host uh, i'm just gonna show you you can because you'll get an idea of the view i'm talking about it's just make co-host as people who love mountains it's it's honestly in my opinion short of maybe short of um stuff in like chicago basin or Vestal Arrow, or Turret Pigeon. It's probably the best view in Colorado, in my opinion. Huh. It's... I see if you can share your screen now. There you yeah, go. There you... Yeah, there you go. So, oh. so you got Uncompagre there on the left. The and then you have that ridge that kind of breaks the two of them, two, two valleys apart. And then on the right-hand side, you have Coxcomb and Precipice. Can you see yeah. Wetterhorn? Uh, you cannot. Huh. Or actually, I think you can just see the tip of it back there. At Matterhorn at all? Or I'm trying to figure out what. There in the middle? Yeah, I'm not I'm not totally sure. And a little bit of snow on there with the green, too, in the sun. Uh, yeah, that, was, that was insane. And did you buy that uh, in canvas form, or, or how do you buy your that print? Yeah, so I sell, so on my website, I sell my prints pretty much in three mediums, or my kind of my preferred go-to. I do like a fine art paper print, which is, it's almost like a rag paper, has a little bit of texture. Um, and then I also do metal prints. And then I do kind of the super high end is the acrylic prints. And the way that works is they print it on like this really uh, glossy uh, poly, polyester paper called Fuji Flex. And then they adhere that to a uh, sheet of acrylic 
and then they face mount it with another sheet of uh, specialized acrylic called True Life, which is kind of anti-glare slash anti-scratch, 99% UV protected. Huh. Um, and then it's all float mounted. So kind of, it's, it's pretty insane. That's cool. Uh, but it's, mm. it's, people are like, wow, that's really expensive, man. And I'm like, yeah, it costs me like almost the same amount to make it. <laughs> like people think I make crazy money selling prints, but it's like, no, I'm not, I don't make that much money every time I sell one. It's like an author in a book. You know, the book s- sells for like $19.99 and the author's getting like 75 cents. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's a little better than that, but it's, <laughs> yeah. Like I would say if I sold uh, like a $2,000 print, I probably make three or four hundred dollars. Yeah. Okay. So that's wow. Yeah. That's so it's 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 not the majority of it. It's a pretty small fraction, really. <laughs> yeah. And you know, people are like, oh, you must you must be rich. It's like, <laughs> you have you know how many of these things I have to sell to be rich? <laughs> like, come on. Have you ever been like in a hotel or a lobby or a office and like, hey, that's mine. That's mine on the wall. Um. Well, I do have. Uh, I could probably tell you all the places where my stuff is hanging just because they work directly through me, but I've never been surprised by it before. Uh, that would be weird. Uh, <laughs> and I'd be like, how did they get that? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let me, the tornado, let's see if we can guess the other four. You said you have, you have top five, but you have five bestsellers, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So give us a hint. Do they include a 14er or a 13er? And then we'll see if a tornado man and I can guess them. Okay, so the other one is, um, it does include, it's from the summit of a 13er in the San Juans. Ooh, top of Jagged. Close, but no. Top of Jupiter. Uh, you're closer. <laughs> I am Tornado Man. Um, I'm trying to think which is closer because I haven't done those 13ers yet. I'm like, uh, is turret so, closer <laughs> it's it's from the summit of turret okay at, at, at sunrise yeah it was one of the craziest sunrises i've ever seen in my life. yeah man of course um how about the one that's your current background is that one of the five that's it is not okay <laughs> well you had that sun caught it the rising sun is awesome so so yeah oh, this is look at that that's not, like Sky's oh yeah. Fire. So yeah, this one's cool because it's you know you got Rio Grande Pyramid, you got Jagged, you've got Monitor and Animus, and then you've got uh, Vestal and Arrow, and then you've got the three Trinities, and then way over here you've got Uncompagre and Waterhorn. Wow, that looks like a oh, yeah. Rings landscape or something like I have Sauron or something with sun. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people say it looks like Mordor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. But man, so I had um. That's probably one of my favorite uh, mountain climbing stories ever, actually, because I um, I had actually gone up there to uh, Ruby Basin uh, from I had taken the train, and I literally was the only person I saw all the way up to Ruby Basin, and my goal was to photograph the Perseid meteor shower, and then climb turret and then climb pigeon because I still needed to do those for the centennials. And so I set up my tent and Ruby Basin above Ruby Lake, like way above Ruby Lake, above Treeline, and couldn't go to sleep. So I decided to just 
climb up to the saddle between pigeon and turret at 11 p.m. and set up my tripod and I photographed the Perseid meteor shower up there looking uh, north, uh, which was is also a pretty cool photograph. But and it didn't sleep at all because it was like super cold and windy. Got up at took my camera off the tripod at probably like 3.30 a.m., climbed to the top of turret, and then got to witness this sunrise. Huh. And then after I did that, then I climbed all the way back around and did the standard route of pigeon, which is, if you've ever done pigeon from the, from there, it's, it's a pretty involved day. Because <laughs> you have to wrap around the entire south face all the way to the west face of pigeon and up so you basically have to circumnavigate the entire mountain mm. and then i had to come all the way back and up and back down so it was kind of stupid <laughs> you have that print hanging in your house i wish <laughs> you can't uh, afford it it's too expensive <laughs> yeah no no i um i um I, it's weird. I live in like a really small house and um, all of the window, all of my walls have big windows. And so there's almost no wall space. So I really don't have much of my own photography hanging up in my house. I think I have three photos hanging. That's real light though. I, you know, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. It saves me money for sure. <laughs> Well, we guess the other three. Do you do you get to write off all your fourteen or climbing as business expenses, and do you just? I do actually. Since yeah. you're a photographer, right? You just all your. Yep. You so I track. Meals? I actually do track all my mileage, all my meals, any expenses I have relating to any trips where I take photos. I keep keep track of it and put it on my taxes. Smart. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't save you a lot of money, but. Yeah. Still. Just yeah. feel cool to say this is a business expense. Steamworks burger and the beer I drink after this Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're you're eating at the at the brewery in, in Ure. It's a write-off. <laughs> <laughs> so third one um is actually not taken from a 13er, it's taken from a 12er. And closest location is Highland Mary Lakes. Don't know that one. You know that one. Uh, that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be a shot of like Vestal Arrow. You got it. Yep. It's um, it's a photo of Vestal and Arrow um at night, actually. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, I'll pull it up for you guys for fun. This one. This is probably one of my my personal favorite photos, but uh, mostly because I have a love affair with Vestal and Arrow. Wow. Yeah, I can see why. Uh... Okay, so what? That's in the middle of the night. Yeah, this is like one thirty in the morning, uh, with a fifty-five millimeter lens, um, looking south at Vestal and Arrow, with the Milky Way right above it. Yeah, that was a that was a fun day. That was a fun trip. It was actually a backpacking trip with my wife for her birthday, and we backpacked up into that area. And um, we were up, we had climbed this little hill. It was like 12,000 foot high. And I got my, there's a photo, photography application called PhotoPills 
where you can actually do virtual augmented reality with it on your phone to see where the Milky Way is going to be at a certain time. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, the Milky Way is going to be right above that solar arrow at 1.16 a.m. or whatever it was. So of course I set my alarm for like midnight or whatever and climbed all the way back up there and shot this and came back to bed. <laughs> that is so cool. And so that, is that a composite again? Um, so this one is... Um, uh, I wouldn't personally call it a composite. Uh, it's more of a, it's a blend. blend okay. So, cause it, cause it was taken at the same exact time with the same exact lens at the same, from the same exact spot. Um, but I did, uh, take a four minute exposure of the mountains and the, the Milky Way in the night sky is a, is a 10 second exposure. Wow. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so what's the light coming from like just below the peaks? So that's like light pollution from, like, I'm pretty sure, like Farmington, New Mexico. Huh. Yeah. Mm hmm. Because you're looking south, right? Is it? Mm hmm. Yeah. That's pretty. What's that yeah, one? Yeah, that was a. Oh, the name of the photo is Infinitesimal. <laughs> <laughs> Not Weiss birthday. Yeah. <laughs> I've sold a lot of that one. Uh, it's one of my favorites. I actually have a tattoo of a, a Vestal on my arm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I've always wanted to see Vestal and Arrow like straight on. There's a picture of him like that in one of Roach's books. And I was like, I bet that's awesome. Huh. Uh, so yeah, I, I make it a point to try to see Vestal and Arrow every year. They're like old friends. <laughs> Yeah, they look they look awesome. I need to maybe get down there this year. We'll see. So many peaks, so little time, but you know. So so then this one is probably another top favorite. This is a sunrise from North Eolis. Yeah, I can see North Eolis, the, the gash in North and Eolis over there in the catwalk. Yep, yep. So that was a. Uh, wow, that's look. How do you get the sun? How do you? You get the sun like that. Just how long? I mean, what window do you have to shoot that photo? How many minutes? Like before the sun's too high. Oh, like the amount of like the how long did this moment last? Yeah. Minute. Maybe. The way the sun hits. Mm -hmm. Is that hitting sunlight over there? Yeah, sunlight. It's right behind, right behind sunlight, and then you have um, window. Um, Jupiter. Yeah, and there's Jagged, Vestal and Arrow over there. And then you've got, over here, you've got uh, Turret and Pigeon. Oh, and this is, a, this is a Monitor. Yeah, I think that's my favorite stuff I've seen. Yeah, it's, um, I have this, I do have this one in my house. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, easily... One of my, and they actually can, I don't know if you can see it, but there's actually a mountain goat right there. We were joking about that <laughs> earlier. But yeah, there is a mountain goat in this photo. <laughs> Peeing on the rock. Yeah. Peeing on the rock. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's four, out, four out of five of Sam Juan so far. It's a fifth out of five of Sam Juan's. Um, I'm not going to lie. It, uh, it is. It is. <laughs> All yeah. right. Oh, actually, there's one more. So there's six. So this one is a, uh, I don't know if you've ever, a lot of people that don't climb, that climb, that are obsessed with climbing mountains like I was, 
probably have never seen this scene, but this is um people that are super into four wheel four wheeling have seen this. Hold on, let's a see lot. If them, I can guess it. So let's... this is so this so this is Red Mountain. So you know Red Mountain Pass. Right. But this is like on the other side of it. So where's so where's five fifty or what's the what's the road that goes through your rated drink? So yeah, five so five fifty's on the on the other side of this. Okay. On the left side of this. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is um there's like a corkscrew pass up there. There's a road that goes up and out of Silverton that kind of connects all these like they're pretty intense four wheel drive roads up there. Um, and I think the road that goes up and over Engineer Pass is connected to this one. Um, but yeah, it's up there. It's just, uh, it's just really gorgeous. Wow. But there's no 14ers. These are all just 13ers. Well, 13ers. Um, in fact, I think I named them here. Uh, Hayden Mountain. Mm. That's what that's called. Uh, that's one thing I like about photography is like, oh, I better figure out what that mountain is so I can put it in my <laughs> photo description. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, okay, so then the, the last one is this one. And you'll, I mean, uh, yeah, capital. You know it. That's, yeah. that's like uh, pretty much the trailhead, isn't it? No, it's, um, you'd think so. Uh, it's it's quite a bit away from the trailhead, but this is what? with a telephoto lens. Mm. Yeah. Uh, this is this is closer to like Mount Sopris. Oh, okay. Yeah. And is that the early morning album glow, or is that the setting? Sun sunset, sunset. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, and this was another one of those moments. Probably lasted thirty seconds, huh. and it was done. It was just bam. So you you better have your camera ready. You you can't be. Uh... <laughs> Do you yeah, I was set up. I was set up and ready for this one for <laughs> probably a good hour, and I thought it was going to be nothing because the storm moved in and you couldn't even see capital at all for a while. And then it all just started to clean out. And then that last moment of light broke through the clouds and then started, nice. and then you also get that bounce light coming off the clouds. And that's why it's so intense. What's, what's bounce light? Uh, like where you get the, the, the light that kind of bounces off the clouds and kind of adds even more glow. Oh. It's, it's pretty uncommon. Like that's, that's what you saw in that, um, that North Eola shot too, like you get that, I like to call it gap light because you have like a really thick layer of clouds and then you just have a tiny little gap where the sun, between the sun and the horizon and the clouds. And so it's a very split short amount of time where you get that, that clean light. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> so for every amazing photo, how many failures do you have? How many? <laughs> 2 a.m. Oh, 2 a.m. shits do you have? Like, damn it, I just I got nothing. So many, so many. In fact, if you want to get really good Instagram engagement, post photos that are failures and ask people to critique them. <laughs> you get people coming out of the woodwork left and right, like, oh, here's what you did wrong here. And <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> you just have to be ready for the criticism. You're just, you know, you're just <laughs> ready for it. Do you have any Indian peaks? Like the I don't know, famous one is always like everyone has their lone eagle peak. Like yeah, I've never set foot in Indian Peak Wilderness. Isn't that crazy? Huh. Not once. Mm. Yeah, there's some good uh, there's some good views there. 
I've also never spent any time in the Gores, which I would love to do. Yes, you're way down the San Juans all the time. Yeah, it's like people are always like, oh, you should come up to the Wind River Range in Wyoming or you should, you know, come spend time in the Gores. And I'm like, I'm 30 minutes from the San Juans. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like easy. (laughs) What about uh, Holy Cross? You have the. I loved Holy Cross. Did you do Mod Notch yeah. Mountain? Do you have the Mod Notch Mountain shot or what do, you, what do you have? Yeah, well, this, this, that was before I was really into photography, but uh, I got to photograph. I still had a camera with me. I didn't have a tripod. 2008. So it was the first year I was back into mountain climbing. And yeah, I, I photographed Holy Cross at sunrise from Notch Mountain Shelter. And that's, that's the way to climb Holy Cross, by the way. That's pretty inspirational. Definitely. God. So, mountain, uh, mountain spider photos. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course, man. I love that. Ma- I actually did like a, I did like a fun little time-lapse of, of a mountain spider and it's web <laughs> blowing in the wind. That, really? So much, yeah. They're so fun. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've been in Notch Mountain. I was, I just climbed in Notch Mountain just at sunrise and took the photos and then hiked back down. But it's you definitely should put that on your list. Oh, it's the best. Um, how much does your uh, all your camera gear weigh? So how much extra are you carrying when you're going into, you know, do Jagged or Chicago Basin and these long trips? Uh, how much are you carrying about? Yeah, nowadays, uh, I've got my kit down to about eight pounds. Well, for the camera gear and the tripods, usually about three total. Um, so between 10 and 15, depending on the, the lenses I bring, it used to be a lot heavier. Um, for example, <laughs> uh, are you familiar with um, Grizzly, Grizzly A, which is over kind of by Independence Pass? Yeah, like the tall, one of the tallest scents or the tallest scent. Yeah, the I've tallest it, centennial, but, I think. But yeah. I... I did that one back when I was still shooting Nikon and I had a really five pound tripod at the time, a Gitzo. It was really heavy. And I carried up that one like five lenses. So I had like a 300 millimeter F4 lens, which was like huge because I was taking like telephoto shots of the three apostles and stuff like that. And that was stupid. I think my backpack was like 40 pounds or something. And that's not that's not an overnight pack. That's just a day pack. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> 40 pounds is like more than I carried to Chicago basin for five days. Yeah. So nowadays, um, if I know I'm doing a day, I try to keep it under 20 if I can, uh, total. Um, but if I ever if I've like uh last summer I did uh, Mount Wilson and El Diente again. And I think I was carrying about 20 pounds for that. So I don't know. It's not, it's doable. It's way better than it used to be. Let's just say that. (laughs) I was, there were, I remember, uh, dude, I did this trip. The first time I tried to do Jagged. Do you remember September of 2013? There was a huge, statewide flood that happened it like took out the highway wrecked lines didn't it yeah it took out the highway to ss park and stuff like that older yeah well i backpacked up to no name basin uh (laughs) that particular week and Mm. 
and I was carrying uh, four camera lenses, two camera bodies. I think my backpack was 65 pounds. <laughs> and I literally spent five days in a tent because hmm. it just rained constantly. I didn't even get to fun. climb. I didn't even get to climb at all. So I carried all this. And that was the year I decided, I was like, I'm going to change camera systems because <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is going to kill me literally. So yeah. Good what, question. What do you tell? Yeah. I was, what do you tell an amateur that wants to, you know, doesn't want to sell photography, but wants to get the, the, the canvas that they put over the couch, you know, and get, get a cool sunrise photo or a sunshot photo or a Milky Way photo, or do they need a $4,000 camera or? No, nah, man, nowadays you can get, I mean, the camera that I took that um, North Eolus photo with, you could buy nowadays for like $150, $200. You could get a really good camera nowadays for less than a thousand easily, you know, really where your expenses come in is in lenses. Lenses. Yeah. But what I would say is um, be really curious. So teach yourself as much as you can, like read books, go to the library, watch YouTube videos, um, find somebody who you like their work and like, don't be afraid to like ask them a bunch of questions and something like that and practice a lot and don't be afraid to make mistakes. And I would also say like, don't, don't go too crazy with it in terms of spending money. You don't have to spend a ton of money to get into photography these days. I mean, for less than a thousand dollars, you can have a pretty good system that can treat you well for years um, with inter like a couple interchangeable lenses that are decent. But once you get serious into it, lenses is probably where you want to invest your cash for sure. Tripod of Musk? Well, it depends on what you want to do. If you want to do anything where there's low light, in terms of like before or during or after sunset, sunrise, you know, kind of that golden hour time. Yeah, you probably want to have a tripod. <laughs> it's not necessary, but it definitely greatly improves your ability to, to get better photos because you're, you can take your ISO a lot further down and you can take longer exposures and not have, you know, you're not doing it handheld so there's not like shake and blur and all that stuff so that's what i would say what do you tell so i was got i got a you know 300 camera when i started doing the 14ers and i would be obsessed with like seeing a columbine and trying to get like the detailed <laughs> columbine photo right and then like handies like phased out so it looks like almost like what but now iphones do portrait mode so well same how, idea, yeah. How do you do that? Do you, is, it the, is it the focal, is it ISO or is it the aperture speed or how do you, what's the adjustment you make to make? Yeah, so that's all depth of field. That's all depth of field. So that's your aperture. So, you know, the lower your aperture number or your stop down, like down to F28 or lower, you're going to have that blurred out background. Um, and what happens is your, your lens opening gets wider and it's letting a lot more light in, but it, decreases the depth of field of what's in focus. Um, so that's how you control your depth of field. Like if you're trying to do a photo where everything's in focus, you're probably gonna be shooting at F8, F11, F14, F16. Um, and that's where you definitely need a tripod because you're letting less light into the lens, into the sensor. And so you need to expose it longer to, to get the photo. Um, so. 
Yeah. So yeah, I would say that's the other thing is learn how to shoot in manual mode. Uh, don't put it on auto. I kept my camera in auto for years until I got a DSLR and I taught myself to shoot in manual for everything. And it just gives you so much more control over your photographs and what you need to do and the creative control and kind of understanding light. So you really understanding that exposure triangle of exposure, aperture and shutter speed, like in the relationship between those three things, that's really important. So yeah, that's, that's another thing. You know, by the way, amateur is not a bad word. Did you know that amateur comes from the French, which and it means for the love of it? Or originally from the Latin, yeah. I'm yeah, for the, I'm for the, yeah, for the love of it. Yeah. So that's kind of cool, right? You don't do it for money. You do it for the love. Yeah. That's a yeah. good. I mean, I don't do it for money. If I did, <laughs> that would be a bad choice. Let's <laughs> be honest. <laughs> it's very difficult to make significant income in photography. You had to give advice to someone who wanted to, you know, get into a little bit amateur photography of the mountains. Uh, what would your advice be to those people? Uh, study the exposure triangle. Don't spend too much money on a camera. Uh, follow somebody that you like their photos. Ask them a lot of questions. Be super curious and check out as many books at the library as you can on photography. Sweet. That's succinct. Can you email you and ask you questions? Of course. Absolutely. And what's your, what's your contact? And can you just tell us your website? Uh, your... Yeah, you can reach me through my website. It's uh, mattpainphotography.com. That's P-A-Y-N-E? P-A-Y-N-E, yep. Cool. Mm -hmm. 